Hello, this is Cassia. I'm coming to you a little bit later. We kind of wanted to add this to the intro to episode 113, but I've moved to the Great White North, and we wanted to say that we are with Ukraine, and we are against Russia's imperialism and against imperialism in any form, and... Mm -hmm. I love flags, and I love the Ukrainian flag. It's, uh, I'm reading from my book. It says, the flag is said to resemble the Ukrainian landscape of golden wheat fields stretching to the horizon to meet the blue sky. I've always loved uh, yellow and blue, and uh, I hope that the people of Ukraine know that uh, good people around the world are there with them, and Corona has been hard. The last few years have been hard. There's been a lot of unprecedented circumstances and like a rise in hate crimes, the pandemic, and many other things. And we hope that the the podcast has been something that can help kind of make these hard times a little bit easier. But like, I hope that we in our in our stories and posts and episodes haven't uh, totally discounted what's going on in the world and we try to be good citizens of the world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, something we definitely wanted to do was to hop on here before the episode gets started and, you know, condemn uh, Russia's actions on Ukraine and we encourage everyone to, you know, find ways that they can uh, donate or help or um, you know, at least keep yourself informed on uh, what's going on and kind of the ramifications for that. But uh, we encourage everyone to go to the International Committee of the Red Cross. Um, if you're able to uh, donate to help, you know, this kind of funds uh, hospitals and things like that. And you can find that at the icrc.org uh, and, you know, kind of read about, you know, their actions that they're taking to help the people, um, you know, there on the ground in the Ukraine. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, now for the episode. Hello there. This is Jolie Bindo from the Hollow Chronicles of a Jedi podcast. You're listening to the Old Republic podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating review, and Brian and Cassia will feature it on the pod. Now, enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. Always. Hello, everyone. Brian here. But before we get started today, I wanted to give everyone a little bit of insight into today's episode. Now, for those of you that may not know, uh, Cassia had uh, an account. It was called Inspired a Galaxy, and it was intended to become its own podcast where she was going to look at things that inspired Star Wars, inspired George Lucas, inspired her. Um, and what you're about to hear was going to be the first episode of that podcast. However, unfortunately, that never came to fruition. But we have plans for Inspired a Galaxy, and we want to start incorporating it into the Older Public podcast. So anytime we're going to be talking about something that inspired uh, not only Star Wars, but inspires us, um, our creativity, uh, things that we like, other fandoms, you know, anything like that, we're going to be putting it under the Inspired a Galaxy uh, moniker. And we think that that's pretty cool. It's going to give us the opportunity to talk about uh, different movies that we like, um, different, you know, books, uh, 
TV shows, you know, it could, it could be anything, anything that inspires us or um, inspires the Older Public Podcast community. Uh, we want to be able to talk about that, and we're going to be doing it under the Inspired Galaxy branding, so to speak. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this Inspired Galaxy conversation about The Green Knight. All right. Hello and welcome to Inspired a Galaxy. Today we are going to be talking about The Green Knight and the poem that inspired it, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight by Anonymous. And today we have... Plo Cool or Pete. Yeah, today Plo Cool is, is joining us and we had a really fun episode talking about uh, Luke's hero's journey in The Last Jedi. I believe that was episode 56 and... I knew when I saw the Green Knight, like, I wanted to talk about this on Inspired a Galaxy, and I was like, oh, I know the perfect person to talk about this with, and uh, you were on board, so uh, I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. So, uh, what did you think about the Green Knight? Yeah, I have loved it, overall. I It was surprising. It was... I would say even shocking at certain moments, but I loved what it did brought to the poem. I loved how it brings it to a new era in the 21st century, and I think it's an important film for our time. Same here, because I studied uh, the poem in my undergrad. I actually had to kind of play the lady in a... A play. It was very, 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 very tame. Nothing kind of like this one, but I'm like, no one else <laughs> wants to be the lady. Okay, I guess I have to do it, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, studied it. Like, I want to say almost for, it felt like a month. Maybe it was a few weeks, but my professor really just loved the, the poem. And I think it, you kind of learn a lot about like literature and King Arthur. Uh, different poetic meters kind of like the it's a little bit like Beowulf I think where it's like you kind of have the Mm -hmm. transition you can kind of see the change from uh, pagan Anglo-Saxon culture to uh, Christian England and there's kind of some you can definitely see that in the poem in the movie and so I've always loved the the poem, and I was curious about this film. It was just, I think it was supposed to come out last year, but now it, it was finally coming out, and um, I saw it, and I thought it was a really good adaptation that somehow, like, deconstructed and constructed, you know? Like, kind of, like, mm, the poem. Yeah. And... Uh, like it's the difference between like a movie and cinema in in my uh oh my for view. sure one thing i always kind of forget is that gowan is the nephew of king arthur uh mm-hmm. and in this adaptation he's not a knight yet and he just kind of a like wakes up on christmas morning and you kind of see, like, that house in the background, like, catch on fire. What did you think that kind of represented? That image, because it's such a slow start and peculiar, and it, it sets, in an odd way, it sets the tone for the entire movie, though. To me, that represented, or represented, 
Gawain's kind of uh, his laziness and I guess lustfulness in the sense of like there's something going on here and he's not doing anything about it. Um, and it kind of sets the tone for what he needs to do for the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. And what happened, like, of not ignoring, you know, what's going on around you. Because um, he's just, it, I thought that was an interesting approach for him in general. Of, because in the poem, he's just, he's there at the round table, but you don't give any of the sense that he's in a brothel or something. Like, like that's not in the poem. So I thought it was an interesting approach because now it, it makes his uh, quest for honor more meaningful. Yeah. Um. So I, but I, that image, it's very striking. I'm still kind of thinking about that. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Because I think the poem, if you kind of like read between the lines, kind of hints at like people get really into celebrating, you know, Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, and like, if you kind of like read some of the old texts, like I think it's Thomas, is it Thomas Mallory's? Like, I don't really know French, like the death of King Arthur and like, you kind of read a line and it says, and the knights would not rape. And it's like, hmm, well, if you have to say they don't rape, you know, like they're probably yeah. not the best knights, you know? Um, uh -huh. And one thing I was kind of surprised by was the addition of the character Essel. And like, I was, mm, I, mm -hmm. I was kind of like, is that, and then when you later see the lady and I was like, huh, are these both played by Alicia Vikander? But then I was like, no, they're they're different, right? But then like later on, I'm like, oh, it was just really really good makeup. And Essel is an good acting. Yeah, great acting and makeup, all the things. Um, Essel was an addition from the poem. Uh, what do you what do you kind of think like Essel represents in your in your view? Hmm, that's a good question, because in contrast to the lady, it's interesting, because they're, they're two opposites, but Estelle brings out more, I think, even though she is, I get, I think, more of a, maybe a medieval prostitute at this time, I you kind of get that, I think that's what she is, um, and then you have the lady who's, you know, of, of honor. Mm -hmm. But they're both played by the same actress, so you're just like, okay, what are the, what is he trying to contrast here? And I think Essel actually brings out the better side of Gawain, um, which is interesting because she's, you know, supposed to be, or how the audience would traditionally view a prostitute as someone who is lowly and not as worthy as someone like the lady. But she brings out the best in Gawain, while the lady brings out the worst of Gawain in the sense that's when he goes against his honor and chivalry and it's his deceit. So I think it's an interesting contrast, uh, but that it's one of those, it's one of the additions that I think adds to the text. It adds to the story. Um, and I think even with uh, the lady's monologue, when she's talking about stories in, in her library and how she talks about how she'll add add to them when she sees room for improvement. Um, and I think that is actually in the, the latest, I picked up the latest uh, edition of The Green Knight with the introduction by David Lowry, who's the director and writer of the movie. And he said he almost, he took that out of 
the script at a time because he thought he was being a little too bold or arrogant. But I think it, it perfectly sums up the movie in the sense that he had the confidence to make these improvements. And I think Essel is one of the best improvements made to the original text. Yeah, because she was she was an addition. And kind of like seeing that they're played by the same person, but they're not the same character, it kind of just was like, what is this kind of meant to show? And mm -hmm. it, it was just interesting. Um, and I think like, as we as we kind of talk more about the film, like I, I kind of had some ideas like about like who the lady represents and then like just kind of more questions I had about us as we go on. But like, so he totally, he just wakes up in a brothel like on Christmas morning. And uh, in this adaptation, his mother is Morgan Le Fay and she doesn't attend the kind of celebration at the round table. Um, and I thought that, like, even just a few minutes into the, into the film, you kind of see the, uh, tension or just kind of the differences, uh, between, like, nature, civilization, uh, kind of like paganism, Christianity, and men and women. That's how I interpreted it, but... Um, mm, did did mm -hmm. you kind of pick up on that? Yeah, I think definitely, because there's so many different ways you can approach the text and interpretations. And I think um, Lowry went more with the nature, nature's role, and how it, it, it was its dominance and its m majesty. Um and I think that kind of brings you back to the image of the fire raging in the background, and that's nature having its way. But I think with this, and it also in relation to Christianity and paganism, I think it took, with Morgan Le Fay, um, more of the pagan approach. But they kind of contrast the two, because they're here with Arthur, they're celebrating the birth of Christ, and then you have the pagan ritual with Morgan Le Fay at the same time. Um, so I think it's interesting of how he constantly is like switching between the different themes, but not being too heavy handed with it. I, it's so, it's just interesting because, yeah, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot of like, what is he actually trying to say? Which kind of interpretation is he going with here? Yeah. And you kind of even later see some more tensions. I think like you see the Bishop blessing um gowan shield and it has the the icon of the mm. mother and child on it and then i think it also you see the star you know which is actually kind of uh like it was like a pagan symbol but like oh the the pentacle yeah so like there is a star on it and like it's kind of like something that transitioned into the christian um like era i would say kind of like reinterpreted or reappropriated i would say um yeah and and i was like oh wow my professor did a really good job because i remembered all these details and like uh the director uh lowry did a great job in like 
kind of highlighting these details, like, because I'm like, oh, now my professor, like, we could, he could probably even just show parts of this film in school, you know, and kind of be like, see, this is a visual representation of the, the shield, you know, and, like, you kind of see, like, the, the different uh, kind of factions that are kind of, like, going on beneath the surface and it was a really good mm. attention to detail and it was beautiful. <laughs> and it, I think it's interesting. Doesn't the shield get sh- uh, snapped in two? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's interesting as well. And, um, cause that's before he, you know, goes to the castle of the hunter. So, and he kind of loses his guiding lights or Mary, mother Mary. Yeah. And, uh, Kind of some other symbols that I, I believe were intentional. Uh, King Arthur and Guinevere, there are crowns, and and we later see Gowan with a crown of his own. They're kind of made to la- look like icons, and in this adaptation, like, Arthur and Guinevere are kind of more old, you know, like, kind of more mm-hmm. aged, and I believe in the poem, like, Arthur was younger, um... Yeah, there's a line that emphasizes that. Yeah, so I was like, huh, that is a deliberate uh, creative choice. But um, I think it is interesting because when Gowan goes to um, that kind of celebration with the, the round table, it is interesting. I don't quite know why Morgan is like... Uh, kind of influencing Arthur to like take an interest in Gowan, but um, I wonder if it's kind of like she's like, I want my kid out of my house and to grow up, you know, and like maybe this will help him kind of like become an adult, you know, and move on. And mm-hmm. kind of like Arthur talking to him, it's kind of like, oh, what's your what's your story? And uh, like this is kind of where I felt guilty because I'm like, um. No story, and then Guinevere adds yet, and I'm kind of like, oh, I feel guilty, you know, like, uh, like I kind of felt like Gowan, you know, like, I'm like, what have I done, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Oh no, I totally got that same <laughs> that same feeling, which I think is almost intentional. I feel like it's an intentional because there's that pause, and it's. Obviously, Gowan's self-reflecting, but it also forces you to self-reflect because it's almost, you can't help but think about your own life and like, oh, yeah, what what have I been doing, too? Yeah. And I think that really gets Gowan in the the frame of mind that it's like, I need to prove myself, you know? And the Green Knight appears, and in the poem, I think, like, it's kind of just a guy who's green, you know, like kind of wearing green armor and stuff but in but i i do believe in the poem like he represents like nature you know kind of like the fair folk but uh in the movie like they definitely emphasize like he kind of looks you know like a a tree man you know Mm -hmm. um so then when he has the branch of the branch of holly i like that they kept that detail yeah and then Gowen like cuts off his head and then like the green knight's like okay well i'm just going to ride off like and i'll do the same thing to you next year 
and you kind of see him throughout the year, like, kind of reflecting on, on, on his mortality, you know? It's like, he's a hero, but it's like, oh, crap, like, do I actually have to do this? What did you kind of think of, of those, like, moments where he kind of had to come to terms with that or not come to terms with that? I thought it was somewhat uh, meta, in a sense, because he's... You know, we view the story, it's like, okay, it's a story about a hero, Gawain. But he's also, he's it's a legend within a legend. So, in the story, he's already become, it's already exaggerated of how much of a hero he is, you know? And I think even in the poem, they emphasize that the ladies talks about his renown and all that. Um, and that he's worshipped throughout the land. Um and I think that's just kind of, it's interesting. And I, and I like that they emphasize that approach in the poem as well, but also with a tinge more of existential dread, uh, and how he, ha what he has to live up to because he's a hero and he's almost on this mythic level almost at this point, but he still has to, he's still unsure of like, wait, is this actually for real? Is that, is this just a game? Like what, what is my role still? Um, and I think I think they did that very well of making it more of an existential thing of what he has to do. Yeah, he kind of had to come to grips with his mortality, and I it did seem kind of meta um, that the poem is kind of the exaggerated and much more heroic um, adaptation of what happened. But like in my mind, like the movie is kind of like maybe like what actually happened and then the poem was like maybe like kind of make me look awesome instead and like as a good person you know like mm -hmm. exaggerate it and make me look more heroic you know and I was kind of like man it would be kind of cool to like see adaptations of the Iliad or the Odyssey or the Aeneid kind of in this uh with this like kind of tone I think it would. It would be interesting. I'm like, I hope it kind of reignites a love for, like, old poems, because, like, for me, like, in another life, maybe I would have been a classics professor. Maybe I still can be. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, I was, yeah. S corona happened, in case, in case you yeah, missed corona, it. Yeah, Corona so. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, like, when he leaves, he gets the shield with the the mother and child on it, it's blessed by a priest, and then his uh, mother with uh, her witch friends, like, kind of creates the green girdle, you know, and one one thing I really noticed uh, when Gowan was traveling, I'm like, oh, they're clearing all of the trees, you know, to kind of, they're, they're clearing all the trees kind of in this area surrounding Camelot you know and I was like oh like mm -hmm. it's really kind of like showing you to your face like the the war kind of between nature and uh I would say civilization you know and like mm -hmm. I was like oh this is, I kind of felt like it's really kind of talking about climate change and like what can be done you know, and kind of like what the future is going to be. 
did you kind of did you kind of think that? Oh, for sure. Um, I think even just I was hoping it would take that approach even from the beginning because I know uh, I was reading a review from the movie and I know uh, Lowry um, is a vegan. So and because in the poem, there's a huge whole uh, section where the hunter is catching his game but and then it describes how they like disembowel it and clean the meat and it's like a very long sections um and that is not in the movie at all um and it kind of when you realize that lowry is a vegan it kind of makes sense and so it's interesting once again that his spin on it but also that approach of nature being like a prominent aspect of his interpretation of the poem and i think that's i admire that a lot because that's the aspect that you can tell stands out to him from the poem the most um but i think yeah with this so many so much is going on but i think one of the main themes of the, is man versus nature um and i think they with the deforestation that stark imagery um it's just yeah, I think it's fascinating, and they set that from the very beginning, and I like how they I like how they do that. Yeah, and I kind of think like when Gowan meets the boy scavenging in in the battlefield, I think it kind of shows that like maybe like that like Gowan isn't really like helping people like in a lower situation than him, and it's like I think if he would have just been perhaps maybe like a bit kinder maybe like the scavengers and his and their group wouldn't have like ambushed Gowan, you know? Uh mm-hmm. what do you think about that? I think I kind of saw the scavengers as another test from the Green Knight. Um the kind or Morgan Le Fay cuz I always forget that uh at the end of the poem there's kind of, it's almost like a footnote that Morgan Le Fay was behind it all. Um, this I like that the movie emphasizes that more. Yeah. Um, of, of her kind of hands and um, concocting this elaborate web um, is much more prominent. In the poem, it's just kind of like, wait, what? She was behind it all? Like, what is it? That's kind of random. Um, so I kind of saw the scavenger and his gang of uh, ruffians as more of another test and he failed it yeah with how he treated the scavenger um whether it's whether they were sent by morgan the fae or not it's still a type of test that he faced along his journey that he failed and he paid the price um and i thought yeah i thought it was just interesting how they make going still he's still pretty flippant about his actions even after um beheading the green knight and going on this journey and becoming more of a hero he's he's still not he hasn't gained that honor that he's pursuing so that the scavenger was another addition that i appreciated to add more depth to the story yeah and eventually he he escapes and then he makes it to an abandoned cottage and I was like, whoa, there's so much going on here. Um, mm-hmm. The ghost of a young woman who's a fox and then, like, needs to replace the head. 
skeleton in the bed, and then the next morning, Gowan finds the axe returned to him, you know? And I was like, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing about the animals in the poem, it kind of reflects uh, what the the Lord, who in my mind is basically the Green Knight, and uh, it hunts, you know, like the fox, deer, and boar. And mm-hmm. my professor's like, the fox kind of represents cleverness, the deer kind of like, uh, kind of being like sweet, demure, and then the boar kind of goes for the kill. And it kind of shows like the different um, ways in the poem that the lady kind of like tries to come on to Sir Gowan, like uh, because like the boar kind of represents her like going for the kill, you know, and uh, the fox uh, uh-huh. is kind of like, oh, I have a magical girdle, you know, like it could help you. I'm just saying like and and mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to see like the the fox uh, appear like what did you think about that section there i was really fascinated by winifred and i watched um a scene breakdown of that by the director and that is cuz saint winifred that's a kind of another legend during arthurian times of the woman who refused a man I'm, I'm a little far in the story but and he refused his uh pursuits and then was beheaded um and he was re- lowry was very fascinated by that and he just knew he wanted to include it from very early on and it kind of connects to the poem because there's a passing line in the poem that mentions the house of Winifred, like that cottage yeah so it's even though it's an addition, it's still um, connected. It still connects to the poem, and I love that because it's like he didn't just pull it in for the sake of pulling it in. It still makes sense to be there. Yeah. Um, I but that I think is my favorite scene or sequence from the film. Yeah. Because it's it's very. Um, he also said that it was inspired by when they're in that like bog, by old hammer horror movies oh love and hammer horror was, films yeah exactly and i was just I, and i was just I, when he said that, i was like oh that's what i because it there was a sense of familiarity of that scene that i couldn't quite grasp and then when he said that i was like oh i think that's it um but that sequence it's very it's surreal at times with the cosmic when he is in the water with the red and then the grabbing of a skull with the and then the stars i just thought it was it was visually um beautiful but also just very very fascinating um i couldn't i didn't necessarily know what it all meant in the grand grand scheme of the story but at first but it still it left me that was the main thing i think that i was thinking about after watching the movie and it's still what i think about the most i think from that film so far yeah um yeah it because it's fascinating it's almost like dlc but i'm like it does feel connected like lowry wasn't just adding things like uh just to add them and you can tell a studio executive wasn't like we need a romance in here and it's like fine we'll just throw in some 2d you know female character like all the additions mm-hmm. um they add to the the story and the theme and like I was like, man, that it's such an interesting 
part of the of the movie and like it's almost like it's a tale for another day so it kind of just adds to the richness of the story in my mind so Mm -hmm. and then one thing i and yeah it kind of does sorry yeah it kind of does feel like a a side quest because it's almost it feels like its own little complete short story within the story um but yeah, it's the tone of it is just it's so fascinating to me. Yeah. And then it, he eats some mushrooms, of course. Uh and one detail <laughs> I loved were the addition of the giants. Um mostly because like I think if you re- read some old poems, it kind of like mm-hmm. talks about like the things the giants left behind. Um and like my professor's like what they're kind of talking about is like the things the Romans left behind because like people kind of forgot ah. what they were used for. Like if you kind of see like the, is it viaducts? I think like where it's kind of like water moves through them and they're kind of uh, raised so it can all go downhill. Like people are like, what is that? It's a door for a giant, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, oh, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, it kind of feels connected to that and also he's on mushrooms you know so yeah <laughs> did you think i think oh go ahead sorry um i think with all because i know in the poem mentions what he encounters on his journey because that was another thing the poem doesn't really go into his journey to the chapel too much it kind of just mentions with exposition of what he experienced experienced what he saw who he encountered and i know giants are a part of that um so i so it makes it's another one of those additions that he does an interesting spin but still connects to the poem but i thought with the whole him taking the mushrooms and then experiencing that it kind of it adds to the whole what is reality and what isn't um aspect of the film um because it also makes me think of when He's tied up in in bounds in the middle of the forest, and it does that 360 pan, and it comes back to him, and that it's just his skull or his skeleton. Um, and I think that type of imagery that it uses on in that middle of the journey of it, it's just really fascinating to me. Um, and I think the giants—that was just the pinnacle of the whole thing of like, what is the reality? What is he experiencing what isn't he experiencing yeah um i think it's it's just fascinating because there'd be some times where i'm like what's literal what's subtext what's symbolism and like mm-hmm. and i can there's so many different uh interpretations it's just it's a it's a good story one thing that just came to mind i think the giants also represent the immensity of uh nature yeah. Um, in the man's feebleness in comparison to, to nature. It's the thing that has been here, will be here after, and mm-hmm. we're kind of just like, whether it's a fire, whether it's a hurricane, uh, something else, like, man is just like a little itty ant, you know, in the face of those things, and yeah, nature's immense, and... 
I I do like what it kind of says, like, nature will be here before and it'll be here after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Gowan makes it uh, to the Green Chapel, and I don't remember a blindfolded old woman uh, in the poem. Uh, what do you think she represented? Um... I know there is the old woman, not but she's not blindfolded in the poem. I see because in the poem I thought it was interesting that the lady is contrasted with the old woman who's I think very fat and very unattractive. Um, but in instead of doing that in this, they have the blindfolded woman, and how they used her though, I. Th- I was still kind of confused. Like, okay, what is she there for? Um, but I think the blindfold was almost represent that she still is always there when Gawain is doing something he shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Like she can't see, but she still sees, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so it's making, I think Gawain question of like, what it like, does she know what I've committed? Um, is she just there, wrong place, wrong time, or does she know my iniquity? Um, and that's yeah. So I was very fascinated by her, because but I still think she's also kind of there to contrast the beauty of the lady. Um, um, but I, yeah, I thought that was a fascinating inclusion because isn't there also during the pagan ritual at the beginning of the movie don't the i guess the witches don't they have blindfolds around their eyes i think they do um and like i it so it yeah it might be an allusion to morgan lefay's involvement in the whole thing yeah uh because i'm there are some people that theorize that like the lady might have been an agent or kind of like at some parts like been Morgan Le Fay in disguise which kind of I'm like oh that's horrifying um ah and then like there is uh so the lady looks like Essel and she is into Gowan you know and then like uh there is the lord and um the Lord kind of says they can like exchange like what each kind of get in that day. And that's a, that's a big motif in the mm-hmm. poem. And the lady is mm-hmm. like, she is into Gawain, like, uh, and she knows what she wants. And part of me is, is almost like, is she a test, uh, sent by his mother? Is she, just another person, because there are some parts of it, I was like, she kind of represents, like, a scientific mind, kind of contrasted with uh, maybe, like, kind of more connected to nature, kind of like his mother, like, a witch or something. But she seems very kind of more in tune with nature, like a bit of, like, a like, the connection between nature and man, you know? And Mm -hmm. that discussion they have where they kind of talk about red and green, 
um mm-hmm. where gowan's like it was something not of this earth and she's like well actually if you look around with your eyes like green is all around you you know and um she kind of talks about like nature is what will be left behind like to grow like after you kind of just kind of do what you will you know and like that's like nature is is what grows you know and i think it was kind of talking about like women uh nature and kind of all that mm-hmm. and that, that monologue that she gives how it's also it's the color of life but also the color of rot yeah um which is interesting and i think because one thing that this movie does differently with the the green girdle which I still, how it is, has the, it's lined with whatever the Morgan Le Fay put in it. But I think that might be some type of, almost an enchantment that could do with the whole thing of him not having a firm grasp of reality. And that can also connect to, you know, the lady looking like Essel. It's his, he's projecting his own desire onto the lady. And he desires Essel so it would make sense that the lady would look like a more beautiful appearance of Essel yeah because I'm like yeah there's something going on with like when the lady presents Gowan with the the girdle it doesn't go the way in my mind that the the poem went and it's kind of like she's saying like you're no knight because he kind of fails uh and and then like the old woman is there to, like, kind of witness it. And then Gowan kind of feels ashamed. And then, like, the Lord sees him and kind of reminds him, like, of the exchange they had. And, uh, like, the Lord kisses Gowan, like, in turn for the, like, the exchange, like, you know, that he, he got the girdle. But Gowan mm-hmm. doesn't give him the girdle. I think he just feels uh, guilty, you know, like... Honestly, like, looking at, like, Gowan uh, through this movie, like, it's kind of like he's kind of failed at each at each point rather than, like, mm-hmm. he, he succeeded. And I was like, oh, this this is kind of interesting. Like, it, it is kind of like following the, the hero's journey structure, but it, it it's just kind of doing it a bit differently. And the ending is probably the part that I think of probably the most from this film. And oh, yeah. it was really funny <laughs> when the fox um, used a human voice, you know? I was just like, what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was yeah. I was very um, taken aback. Because in the poem, is that there's a human guide that tells them basically what the fox does in this movie. Yeah. But it's, it's the symbolism is more, I think, uh, on... It fits the tone of the movie more if you just had the fox popping in and out of the movie at various times. Yeah. And then Gowan goes to uh, meet the Green Knight. Then Gowan is kind of like, oh, please don't do it, even when he does have the girdle. And -hmm. then in this adaptation, I was like, wait, are they really doing this? You know? Um, Oh, yeah. But... It kind of shows Gowan going back to Camelot. Um, he's knighted, 
and he becomes king when uh, King Arthur dies. But um, it's almost like he's given things, but he hasn't earned them. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. like, at this point in in what they're kind of showing, like, Gowan isn't really feeling a connection with Essel, but he kind of just, like, she was there, you know? And, like, she bears his son. Yeah. And then it's like, I'll take the, the child, but, like, bye! You know, like, it's like she's been abandoned and then he marries uh uh some noble woman not really out of love but just kind of like out of uh like that's what a king does is marries a noble woman to Mm -hmm. cement alliances you know and then there if you if you watch the power of myth joseph campbell and uh, bill moyers talk about about this poem a lot and Mm-hmm. If you've read, have you read the Heroic Journey by Campbell? It's sort of like a biography, but kind of like talks about like his history, and then like it kind of has transcripts of stuff he's talked about. Oh, that I have not read that. Yeah. Okay. No. There is a point where he kind of is talking about this about. I think like it's a tale about Parsifal, and it's kind of talking about like how Parsifal, like, he is presented, you know, a wife just because he's a good knight, and it's like, she's a good lady, you know, but he's like, I don't want to marry you just because, like, your father tells me to, you know, and he kind of, like, later uh, finds, like, someone, and then uh, they they fall in love, you know, but, like, I kind of saw, like, when Gowan gets married and, like, he doesn't, like, they don't, um, like, consummate the marriage, you know? Like, I kind of saw that as, like, him not feeling, like, I, it kind of brought to mind, like, that, that tale by, like, what Joseph Campbell was talking about is, like, I think Gowan kind of knows he kind of just was fulfilling, like, social obligations and kind of, like, you kind of see, like, when they're, like, lying in bed and then, like, there's a crack on top of the of the bed, kind of like a crack. Like, mm-hmm. I think that kind of represents, like, he, he kind of, he feels like he has done right, you know? He's king, but he he's done it wrong. And, like, he's kind of lied about, like, facing the Green Knight. He kind of like treated Essel badly and then just like has like he's married and like it's kind of just to fulfill a social obligation it's kind of like not really what nature is about and uh you see Mm. his his son uh, who he he loves like you kind of see him grow up and like die in battle and Gowan becomes a king that they just uh throw you know waste at and the castle is under siege and everyone's kind of like uh we gotta get out of here we're gonna die um and then you see Gowan pull the green girdle from his abdomen and uh the king Gowan the head falls off and then like you realize it was a vision because I'm like is this really the ending like huh this is yeah that's what I thought it was yeah. yeah. and then you see Gowan kind of w- awake from that vision 
and in the green chapel and then he removes the girdle which is something he does not do in the poem and he says oh now i'm ready and then the green knight says now off with your head and i think it can Mm -hmm. end in many different ways and it, it really got me thinking like is gowan gonna survive or is he gonna die with with dignity or is did he kind of pass the test what did you think about that ending i thought man i was just i was really it taken aback when it cut to him back in the green trap i was like oh that was all a vision like i was amazed but in a sense relieved but also i was just like man he got me i really thought that's what i was gonna end and i think how i viewed that last line i thought that was it almost like a dad joke from the green <laughs> the green knight i thought that was because in what's in the poem he just gives him a nick right yeah um so it will be as as a reminder so i kind of just assumed that's what happened like I, in that he was just making that comment to as yeah as a joke yeah in a sense because it even just with the certain type of uh there's a bit of irony or sarcasm in his voice. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, but one thing about that though, that I love is that if you haven't read the poem, I, you would probably think that he got his head cut off. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause I mean, I'm not expecting that many people to go into this and be that familiar with the poem. Yeah. So I think it also, it's one of those things where it's like, a new interpretation for, uh, you know, some ambiguity that um, is very fitting for 21st century um, adaptation of this poem. Yeah, because when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, they made it so Gowan dies in in this adaptation. But then I was like, oh, no, it kind of shows him succeeding for the first time. So I think it does mean he lives, but we don't really need to necessarily kind of like have maybe the cliche like kind of see the hero return home and everything is like a celebration you know um Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like the title on a tree ring and i was like oh it really got me thinking more than maybe like a what a studio executive would like think is commercially viable like say in the 1990s and i i just loved like how this film handled the ending um one question i had is do you think that gowan like had affection like he he loved essel do you think that's what i'm trying to f- i still am where, where i think about that i'm like man i should see this i should see this again but when essel is talking to gowan before he leaves you know she talks about how I'll be your lady and you'll be my man. And he doesn't really respond to that and is silent. And I was like, oh, honey. Um, like, <laughs> Yeah. Oof. I, I thought that was... But I also saw that was before he had gone on his journey. So he still hasn't... He hasn't grown as a, as a human yet. And that's why he, it's not until after he goes on his journey that he would realize Essel is the one he should be with. Yeah. So, and I think 
and I think that's kind of stressed also in the vision of like what would happen if he cowardly ran away from the Green Knight and that she would bear his child, yes, but he wouldn't get to um spend his life with her because out of, you know, obligation. Yeah. Cause I can see kind of two um kind of paths. I think like maybe they could end up together. Maybe Gowan wouldn't be king or he could kind of do the right thing and kind of not just use her because she's there, you know, and kind of walk away and kind of end it. So like either of those options I would be happy with because like kind of when the lady's like talking to him and like she kind of sees that little like, you know, bell uh, and like Gowan's like, yeah, I don't know anything about love. I don't know if he is just unsure or just like callous, but or just like he's interested, you know, in this new fascinating lady but it's like sometimes it is interesting, like uh, whether it's in your life or you're observing other people, and it's like it's like this person is probably maybe a better fit for you, but you kind of are kind of going for someone who's like way out of your league, you know, and mm-hmm. it's kind of just one of those situations, and it's like I've been in it, and like uh, maybe I I've kind of like just like with other relationships you know it's kind of just like yeah like this could be good but like what about that you know and uh yeah it's just it just is interesting because like part of me is kind of like did the lady actually like Gawain or or was she kind of just um testing him kind of toying him or toying with him or I don't know like what did you think about that I thought that was I think my initial interpretation of the poem was that that was always a test. So I think I went into the film with the preconceived notion that it was a test. And I still kind of got that reading after watching the film. Yeah. Because it still seems, it's very cold in light. There isn't, you know, there interactions. Like, yes, there's that tension there obviously but it still doesn't seem very warm or affectionate yeah so i don't know i guess that's what i love about this film it's like you can't really take anything at face value you kind of have to think about it Mm -hmm. and like my first interpretation is like oh it's kind of like even if like gowan dies like i think like it's a heroic ending and then i was like oh i think he actually survived but like he's gonna feel a whole lot more worthy because he did the right thing at the end and i think like he's kind of finally mm-hmm. grown up and he's worthy of it so yeah there, there's a whole lot going on so i would definitely recommend uh i'd recommend seeing the movie i definitely would recommend reading the poem you can do it in whatever order you would want um mm-hmm. and then one surprise question i have is because it's sort of vaguely connected to Star Wars in some way, is um, what kind of, like, influence do you see from the Arthurian legends in the Star Wars saga? Hmm. Um, Or it can't even be the expanded universe, too. I would definitely, I think more, what comes to mind is the High Republic, more than anything, Um, of these, you know, Knights of the Round Table, type approach that the high republic has taken 
to um, the Jedi and how the High Republic is very much like Camelot at its, you know, highest um, might. Um, and that there's a sense of nobility, honor, even chivalry um, that is very much present in the Jedi Knights of the High Republic and that they actually live up to that name where they are a knight. Because in when you hear Jedi Knight with the prequel era, it kind of... I remember even when I was really young, I thought that was kind of odd that they're called Jedi Knights. You can under, you can see it, but I still... It's a little strange. It doesn't necessarily fit their the way they are by the time of the prequels. But during the High Republic, they definitely fit that title a lot more. So I see that influence there. Um, one thing that's not necessarily a direct influence of Arthurian legend, but connects all the same, intentionally or not, is that when, uh, in The Last Jedi, when Rey is being trained by Luke on the edge of the cliff on Acto, the, the island, um, and they're talking about the life cycle of basically of the force, you know, death that brings new life and how they have the imagery of, you know, the, the bones of an animal, but then it's feeding the soil to grow something beautiful. Um, that kind of reminded me of the whole monologue that the lady gives of, um, green being the color of life, but also of decay, but in it's just this natural cycle and there's nothing you can really do to stop it all. It, you can tear it out by the roots one day and then the next it comes creeping back. And that kind of, it made me think of that scene from The Last Jedi. Yeah, and I think an influence I've kind of seen, it started uh, in Star Wars Rebels, actually. Or, yeah, and then we kind of see it follow through uh, in some of the films and Clone Wars is the Darksaber Um it, mm. it kind of reminds me of uh, the sword in the stone and Excalibur. Yeah. And I mean, in some Arthurian legends, they're kind of like different things. And then they're kind of like the same sword. But it's kind of like the the dark saber was a mythical sword, like created by uh, a person from two cultures, like Mandalorian and, and Jedi. And it kind of represents the synthesis of those two mm -hmm. ideologies. And I'm like, oh, where King Arthur had a sword in the stone. This is a sword that looks like stone, you know? And it's kind of like mm. whoever wields that is the ruler of Mandalore. And it's an important blade. And I think we'll see its story kind of unfold more in The Mandalorian. So... I'm very excited for that, and I also, when you kind of mentioned the High Republic, I think, like, I mean, I think they actually kind of mentioned, like, with the High Republic trailer that it was definitely kind of, I think, like, they said it was inspired by that, or, like, it was very, like, that's kind of what yeah. everyone was saying. Mm -hmm, they did. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, like, the only thing better than, I think, Camelot is kind of like seeing, like, uh what causes Camelot to fall, you know? Yeah. And I was kind of like, even just like looking at the 
the book covers, I'm kind of like, huh, these Jedi kind of seem to be mirroring each other's, like, lightsaber. Like, they seem to be kind of, like, uh, connected and stuff, and, like, it ended up being uh, Avar Chris and Elzar Man, and, like, they kind of have a little bit of a... Um, lady and lord kind of like you know it's kind of like Guinevere mm-hmm. and Lancelot thing going on and it's like oh so I'm like hmm for sure I wonder if that's gonna lead into anything and like they're kind of like the doom of the Jedi <laughs> so. yeah worth noting that uh Claudia Gray is writing the last or not the last but the next the next wave adult novel yeah so I'm like yeah and she and they've been setting up the whole you know, ro- romance subplot with uh, Avar and Elzar. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll be interesting because, you know, she usually writes within that type of, uh, with the romances. So I, I'm looking forward to what they'll do with that. Yeah, I, I need to, like, I, I was sort of whispering it, but then I was like, oh, wait, I'm on a podcast, you know. But um, I was like, I still haven't, like, been able to read lost stars yet but i'm like i need to like people the way everyone Ooh, talks yeah. it up mm-hmm. i'm like oh i need to you know so i'll have to yeah, do that before should. it comes out but yeah mm-hmm. like it's just so fascinating to look at a golden age and like how it turns into a gilded age and i think we're gonna kind of see that with the high republic novels like i think it's already kind of happening there and then yep. we'll see yep. it uh with the acolyte and like how that kind of like ties into the prequels um just so much like fun mm-hmm. stuff is going on uh in the storytelling side of star wars and i'm excited for the future mm-hmm. yeah me too so in conclusion you should watch the green knight read the sir gowan and the green knight poem you can find it at any indie bookstore of your choice and just stay curious when you're uh reading or watching or listening to uh, any other things and you can kind of see like many of the stories we tell like have connections to older stories and like it makes it richer when you kind of find those like connections whether it's mythological storytelling or like history art the connections they're fun, you know, and make for a richer experience. Mm-hmm. So um, where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at plo double underscore cool. All right. Sounds good. And thank you again for coming on. And uh, mm-hmm. this is where we'll end this episode. Thank you. Old Republic Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Older Public Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Older Public Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>